if you had one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? Okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore. We got, this is really awkward, you know? So everybody's like, are we really doing Eminem today? So I, I'm sorry. I, I know most of these high schoolers are like, man, that's like my dad doing that. That's like so bad. I, I know, I know. Sorry, kids. Sorry, I didn't see that. You know, music talks a lot about this life, doesn't it? Talks a lot about the world that we're a part of, about what life is all about. I mean, so for some of you, you know, Billy Joel, uh, when he talked about life, he said, you know, only the good die young, yeah. And some of us know with Tim McGraw that he wanted to challenge us to live like we were, yeah. And Panic at the Disco, even their most latest High Hope songs, really talks about how we have to have high hopes for a living, keeping a perspective that's different than what's going on in our world. And you know, I'll just be honest today, this message was planned a year ago. And this message is going to sound different to each of you in this room. And uh, today I'm, I'm a little bit overwhelmed because I'm cognizant. And we've had two, two members of this church recently that mean a lot to this church that have, that have passed away. And we're going to talk today about a subject that is pretty overwhelming when you experience it. You know, not, nothing makes you think about your mortality than anything else, though, than probably flying on a plane, Right? You fasten yourself in, you get ready to take off, and uh, sometimes airline pilots and uh, stewardesses, they, they, try and, uh, they try and make you a little more comfortable. And so some, some companies have actually kind of written lines that they think are funny that would be you know, jokes that they could share like this. Maybe you've heard this. As you prepare for takeoff, please make sure that your tray tables and seat backs are fully upright and in their most uncomfortable position, right? Okay, that's, that's cute. Folks, we've reached our cruising altitude now, so I'm going to switch the seatbelt sign off. Feel free to move around as much as you wish. Please stay inside the plane until we land, right? Yeah. It's a bit cold outside. Uh, if you walk on the wings, it affects the pattern, you know. <laughs> uh, another one says this, uh, should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the bag over your own mouth before putting mouth and nose before assisting the children or the adults acting like children next to you, right? You know? But getting on a plane, you can find yourself really wrestling, wrestling with this idea that your life is in somebody else's hands, you know? I always appreciate going on vacation and people say, where are you going? Well, I'm flying to such and such. And they'll say, be safe. Like at 30,000 feet, how much choice do you have? You know, you're either in the plane or you're not, you know? It's not really up to me. But no matter where we are in this world, no matter where we are in our life, we all know one certain thing. And it's that this life is coming to an end. We will all die. We will all pass away. And so there's this tension today that we want to unpack as we've been looking at this series called Meaningless and looking at the life that we have to live because if there's anything we should understand is that if death is really coming, how should we live this life? What should our life really be about? If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And we want to start with a verse that kind of serves as the thesis, the direction of where we're going to go today, and it kind of sets up what we're going to unpack. But here's what it says in verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, 
Where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Interesting, interesting verse. And the realm of the dead is what uh, our writer begins to speak about. As we've been looking at this, this journal, this discourse, this understanding of pressing into the pieces of life that are around us, we begin to evaluate what really matters and what has great significance. And the author writes something as, as tender as, you know that place you're going because, you know, we're all going to die. Drops the mic and just kind of lays it out there in a view of life right now. Now this phrase begins to be interesting for us because as we look at what we've been studying overall, uh, the Jewish view of death is different than the Christian view of death. Christ has not yet come, uh, been crucified, buried, and rose again. The understanding of, uh, of, of afterlife is not yet fulfilled in many ways. And so as we read through this book, we see this idea of under the sun coming up over and over and over again. And it's a reference specifically to evaluating this life, how we live it in this moment in time. Yet it's very unclear to the people living at the time when this is written. It's really un, uh, unclear about much of what, how they understood what was next. Many of them believed that there was another life with God but since there was no one besides Jesus who would ever or who would ever rise from the dead and come back to life, they weren't really certain of what was next. See, the Jewish view of death came into an understanding of this idea of what happened in the Garden of Eden, that humanity and God were meant to be in relationship together. But when sin came into the world, it broke, it destroyed the creation the way it was intended to be lived out. God created us so that we might enjoy him and this life on earth. And so what we begin to see is in the perspective is a longing for Eden, a longing for this restoration of life, for creation and all of humanity to once again be restored in peace, in shalom, back with God and his creator. And so this word that gets brought about going to, to the dead is the idea of this word sheol. And Sheol is not the afterlife, but it's the, the absence of the opportunity of an earthly life. Namely, the enjoyment. The enjoyment of, li of life with God. So death meant, in this passage and in, throughout Ecclesiastes, meant there would be no more enjoyment of this life. So you can see it. It's placed in a very temporary frame. A longing for something so much more. Ecclesiastes goes on and says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 9. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteousness, that, that the righteous and the wise, and what they are doing is in, are in God's hands. No one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so, it, so with the evil. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward... They will join the dead. 
The author here, many of us, whether it's the teacher himself or whether it's Solomon himself, we're, we're, we're finding out is beginning to, to paint a portrait of these comparison and contrasts of people, wise and unwise, righteous, unrighteous, good and evil. And he's trying to give the perspective that nobody has a fair advantage. Nobody has an edge on the situation. Life isn't fair or equal especially when it comes to death. All of us will die. And he's making the point that not only does knowing God not guarantee an easy life, he's leaning more towards, he's leaning more and more towards this notion of death and death itself. Basically, we've yet to see anyone escape death. And it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. The author's trying to say, we're all going to die. Maybe we'd say it this way, no matter how religious or moral you are, you will still die. Then he does something pretty interesting when he begins to call out this idea of death, and he literally calls it evil. Now, evil for the, for the Christian worldview is actually an opportunity. It's a next step. It's a hope for life everlasting. It's a perspective that we share that's different. We know the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. And yet as the author is writing this, he begins to talk about death being evil because what he's referencing back to is this perspective of life and death. That life was not intended to be broken. That creation was not intended to be destroyed. And yet in the freedom of our will, God gave us the opportunity to respond. And so sin enters the world and it begins to destroy the peace, the shalom that we have between us and God. It's important for us to understand, though, that death was not from God nor God's intention. But it's a result of our rebellion. And so now death is a common destiny for us all. And as a result of sin, it impacts the world, the land, and our lives. So here's a spoiler alert. Here's, here's why God gave his son. Here's why God gave Jesus Christ. Because of the brokenness in our world, because of this gap between God and humanity, there needed to be a bridge. So Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. Because of the evil of death, he killed death so that we might live forever. This is what it goes on to say then in verse four. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living, living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again, never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. It's a weird illustration that gets thrown out here, right? Better to be a living dog than a dead lion. I mean, the reality is you're seeing this in, in a Jewish context. Many people are hearing this, that dogs were seen more as just scavengers, right? The lowest of the low. And of course, a lion represented royalty and power and elegance. 
And so we're not thinking of, you know, something like a, a cute poodle, but really something more of a mangy mutt, right? And the writer's saying it's better to be a mangy mutt that lives than to be a magnificent lion that is ultimately just dead. Why? Why? Because to be alive is a gift in and of itself. Because it means you still have an opportunity to live out and help remedy death. Because you have an opportunity to still wait for the hope of a coming one who would restore us and give us strength. To live, no matter your status, is a gift in and of itself. And so we want to make the most of every opportunity. But we have to be reminded of this truth. You don't get a second chance at life. Now, understand this. You do get second chances in life, but you only get one shot at life. Just like the, the silly little song we started with to begin with, you only get one shot, one opportunity. And so will you seize your life or will you let it slip? Verse 5 and 6 go to go, begin to go on and they, they say nothing's going to last. Not our love or our hate. When it's gone, it's gone. And he has a list of things that he lives out, that lays out that we strive for, that we long for. Some of those things are very, very good things that we would want to live with. But love and hate and reward or fame and jealousy, it's just all gone. No matter, no matter how much you want, when life is done, it's over. So think about this. <laughs> no matter how much kale you eat or exercise or diet, you're still going to die right? You wish, that, uh, you wish that maybe you could oversee things, you could skip out on things, but the truth of the matter is as much as you try, you cannot stop the reality that life will come to an end. One of the funny things I think about life is that the oldest woman in the world was once asked, what's her secret to life? Did you ever see this? The oldest woman in the world was asked, what's the secret to her life? And she says, I drink diet pepper, diet pepper every day or Dr. Pepper every day. Drink pop. Well, that seems counterintuitive, but the truth of the matter is, even those who don't live a healthy life sometimes live well beyond than what we think they should. So let's ask this question again. So if we only get one chance to live, shouldn't we try and enjoy it? Shouldn't we try and make the most of it? Look what the author goes on to say. He says this in verse 7. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy your life with your wife, with whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is the lot, this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all its might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Now we're coming full circle on this idea of life and death. And the question becomes, do we really enjoy life? Are we making the most of it? And the challenge for most of us is really in this battle, this conflict between the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God. 
How we leverage our life is often expressed in this tension between are we living out the patterns and the designs of our own personal success of this world, or are we living out the level of sacrifice and significance that God has called us to lay out in our life with the things that he's given us? It's interesting that enjoying life both ways usually comes up with the same things, right? You can live for yourself significance, or you can live in the sacrifice of Christ, but in the end, we all die. But the meaning, the value of it, what it means in everyday circumstances and situations, how it impacts relationships, how it, how it changes our homes, how it impacts our workplaces, these are, are defined by the way people who live who fear God and those who don't. Those who live with an eternal perspective and those who only live for the future, what's right in front of them. The author gives us six things to enjoy life, and he says there, there is food, there's drink, there's white clothes, and you're going, why be dressed in white? Uh, it, it's a picture of celebration, of purity. And he, he says, put oil on your head, and he's talking about comfort and taking care of your body. And then he says, celebrate things like uh, your spouse or your work or your hobbies. But when it comes to the wisdom of the world, or the wisdom of God, we're called to enjoy this life. And it holds, it hangs in the balance of those who fear God and those who don't. Let me, let me give you a couple of illustrations of how that plays out. I mean, if you want to take your work, for instance, and you want to enjoy it to the fullest, you understand, or most of us understand, that our work is kind of an expression of who we are, right? That we, what we tend to do is expressed on how maybe God has gifted you, Right? So maybe you put certain talents in place or you, you look for a career or a direction because you know these are the gifts that God has given you and so you wanna, you wanna leverage them. Well, you can make a clear choice. You can either put all your emphasis into your talents and what you can gain and what you can make for yourself or you can live with the perspective that the talents that you have and the gifts that you've been given and the work that you're now a part of is an opportunity to give of yourself for God's glory. Now, the truth of the matter is success comes on lots of different levels and it plays out in a lot of different ways. But when you look at your life as something to be leveraged, either for personal gain or for significance that's found in God, it's a different perspective. Or let's talk about our spouse or the people that we love. Our spouses are a gift from God, correct? Come on, guys. Your spouse is a gift from God, correct? Amen. Amen. Well done, man. Well done. They're an expression oftentimes of what complements you. Oftentimes your spouse or your loved one is, is somebody who, when they came into your life, you saw that there was a, a fit, a support, a strengthening when you two were, you were better together. So they're a gift from God. And so you can live your life and you can live your marriage or you can live your relationships with others by evaluating on how much they just significantly make you better or add value to your life. Or you can learn how to support them first and foremost to see them flourish to become who God created them to be. It's an interesting thing in marriage that a spouse that significantly invests in their spouse often sees their spouse flourish at the point that they significantly invest in their spouse. 
But when spouses look to the other spouse to significantly only impact them, you know what happens? They begin to separate. Because all they're looking out for is what they can get in the moment and not in the eternity. See, we find ourselves trying to enjoy life and we go about it to get some of the same things. It plays out in very similar ways. But those who fear God ultimately want to enjoy life the way God intended it to be, in relationship with him and at peace with others. The wisdom of the world may have us spinning, chasing one trend or one fad or one promotion or one opportunity, and we chase it with everything that we've got, but it only meets the need for the moment. And oftentimes it can derail us in our perspective of eternity. And things that were meant to be an enjoyment, things that were meant to be beloved and enjoyed are sometimes burdensome and overwhelming to us. I mean, even, even Eminem gets this. If you listen to the rest of the song, he makes this stomp comment. He says, you only get one shot, don't miss your chance to blow. The soul's escaping through the hole that it's gaping. The world is mine for the taking. Make me king as we move toward a new world order. A normal life is boring, but superstardom's close to post-mortem. There it is. Make me a king. Let me seize my day. But even superstardom, it's close, close to death. It's almost as if Solomon were to write Ecclesiastes today, heaven forbid, it would be very close to that. You're either dying to live or living to die. For many of us, we, we look at that and we forget about the life that we have right now and trying to make the most of it. But the truth of the matter is, God intended us for to, us to live every moment, living that we know that there will come an end to this life. So the significance, the enjoyment, the relationships, the land, the food, the drink, the pets, the clothes, whatever it is, this is our life. And God created it for our enjoyment. So we live to die or die to live. And I love this thought. We were walking through this on teaching team. And Eric just blurted this out. I, I want to give him credit for it. He says this. You can, you can be born once and die twice. Or you can die twice and be born once. The idea is that we can come into this life understanding that we're going to die, but we can be reborn again in a relationship with Christ and only really experience one death because we will live forever. Ever. Or we can come into this world and not be reborn again. And in our life, it'll die. And so does our eternity. So let me ask you this question. Do you live for a future or do you live for an eternity? How should we approach this life knowing that death is coming ultimately for all of us? I think we need to challenge ourselves. We, should, we don't live as if tomorrow is our last, last day, but we do live as if our days are numbered. We do live life as if our days are numbered. Death can mark life's actions as meaningless or meaningful. And we know that there is something beyond this life, that everyone spends eternity somewhere. 
We don't want to just live for the, for the fullest for the moment right now as if tomorrow is your last day. That's not necessarily wise. And maybe that's even asking for trouble. But we do want to live in the way that understanding that our life will come to an end, that our days are number. So we need to be the kind of people that love our family fully. We choose to forgive. We enjoy the moments of good food, good drink, and company. We celebrate those moments. We laugh. We have fun. We invest those moments in the relationships, doing it as God intended. If there's an end of this message or maybe even an end of this story that's encouraging, it's, it's that we can find peace. There's a peace that gives us ultimate meaning to this life. We've talked about how death has, was not intended by God, but it is a result of the sin that enters our world, which helps us recognize that when we look at this life, when we look at this world, there's only one way to really remedy it. And the only way to remedy death is to remedy sin. The only way to remedy death is to remedy sin. Now, I'm going to digress for a moment here, and I'm going, to, I'm going to share something real quickly. I have two parents, a mother and a father, and both of them handle, both of their families handle death completely different. My mother's father is terrified to go to funerals. He's scared of death. He's scared of its impact. He's scared of what it means. My Father's father, my grandfather, passed away several years ago. When I go to a funeral with my mom's dad, there's a lot of silence. There's a lot of weeping. There's a lot of wrestling with what life's about. When I go to a funeral with my dad's family, there's crying, there's laughing. There's high-fiving, there's hugging, and there's celebration. Why? Because the two families live for different values. One family lives for a future of everything that they can create now, and the other lives for a future that will echo into eternity, celebrating all that God is and all that God has done. And death has no victory. And death has no sting. Why? Because the remedy of sin has been found. Romans says it this way in Romans 3.23. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 reminds us that the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners... While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the remedy for sin. It's what silences death. And as a result, not only can we live this life with great enjoyment and great intensity, but we can have a life overflowing, anticipating that it will echo into eternity, celebrating all that God is and all that God has done through us, in us, around us, for his glory and his credit. It's Jesus. 
It's Jesus that gives us fulfillment and hope. It answers the longing questions. Our hope is no longer meaningless or uncertain, but it's real, it's realized. And in the tragedy and heartache and death and all of its struggle, we gain a perspective that's beyond the few moments in time that we live and we look to a future that's fulfilled in Christ's sacrifice and our surrender. Life is meaningful. Life can be meaningful, even in the face of death. We're going to move to a time of response. A few weeks ago, we, uh, we wrapped up our time talking about the difference between living for our future or living for our eternity. And we actually chatted about the significance that many of us pursue trying to make the most of everything that we have now. And and we have to be reminded that anything that ultimately is a pursuit of self ends with self, right? When When we're just trying to make the most of our life and our time, we miss the significance of what might happen to those in our household, in our community, in the world around us. When we, when we live a life that's only about taking care of self, we lose compassion for the world that's broken. We lose the laughter and the joy of mistakes that can be overcome. When we live for self and our own significance, we start measuring the things that impact us as wins or losses, rather than moments of character and growth and being shaped in a conformity that looks more like Christ than ourselves. And so today we we mourn with those who mourn. We grieve with those who grieve. We share with friends, and we share with family, the laughter and the joy, the celebration of peace, of knowing of a, a life that's surrendered back to Christ. No, not a perfect life. No, not a, not a completely innocent life, but a life that, a life that often said, as soon as he saw you, hey, smile, God loves you. Hey, what's God doing in your life? And sometimes that perspective is more than just a phrase or more than just a saying. I mean, let's be honest. There are many times we fake it till we make it, right? But an encouraging word, a challenging question, a smile of somebody else's life that brings life to you can sometimes pause your life enough to say, what am I really living for? What am I investing in? What of significance will be left when my life is gone? What what kind of wake or legacy will follow after me? What kind of impact will be said of my life? Will it be measured in the dollars and cents of this world? Or will it be measured in the lives that had a perspective that was well beyond just the future, but an eternal hope that can only be found in Christ. 
In just a moment, we're going to give everyone opportunities to come to, uh, to the altar up front to pray for a moment. And maybe there's something significant in your life that you're wrestling with, that you're struggling with, and, and I want to encourage you to give it over to God. For some of you, you're going to, you already know that there's a, a next step life decision that you want to make, and so that connection card is, is your way of navigating some decisions, and maybe it's sitting down to talk with somebody. Maybe, maybe it's about correcting some things in your marriage. Maybe it's about uh, changing a career. Maybe it's about sitting down and correcting a relationship. Maybe it's about uh, confessing something that's been just tangling your heart. But whatever it is, May we act on it. We'll gather around these tables for communion, and as we do, we'll, we'll eat the bread and we'll drink the juice, and we'll be reminded that it was God's body that was broken. It was his blood that was shed so that we might have life everlasting. And there are tables all around the room that you can go to, maybe as a family, maybe as individuals, maybe as a small group, however you do it. Take some time to reflect on that. And then may we also give of ourselves, our time, our talent, our treasure, maybe a decision to serve, to make, make church more than something of an attendance, but making it a family where you're engaged in serving and impacting this world around us. Maybe giving of your tithes and offerings and growing a discipline towards generosity and hospitality. Whatever it is, this moment is a chance for us to pause, to reflect, and to ask the questions. Are we living for our future, or are we living for eternity? Let's stand. Let's pray. After that, we'll sing, and people will begin to spontaneously move to the stations where they want to express their decisions of faith. I want to encourage you to do the same. Let's pray. God, um, God, I'm a bit overwhelmed today. God, we know that uh, you have conquered death and sin. And yet today there is a sense of mourning and weeping because we won't be asked those questions. We may not see that smile. We may not have that moment. But God, I thank you that it's only for a, for a time and not for an eternity. God, each of us assume it will always be someone else. It will always be somebody else's life that's taken well before ours. And so God, today as we sit down and we we have a meal with friends or family. God, may we, may we look around that table and realize, God, that this is what you meant by life, that we would be at peace and in relationship, that we would celebrate the creator through all of our creation, through all of God's creation. God, as we live out and plan out our week, may we, may we look beyond just the tasks and may we see how you've uniquely made us, how we might leverage our lives, how we might tweak our lives so that people would quit seeing us and start seeing you. God, may we be a people that 
quit valuing our significance in what's in our wallet or the, the name on the back of our jersey or the number of likes or friends we have in social media. God, help us to be so much deeper than that. Help us to literally pour out our lives, to be filled with you, that our significance and our sacrifice, the surrendering of ourselves, would do nothing but bring great fame and great, great clarity to you. God, this world and all that it has to offer is so attractive to so many. And yet, God, we only find true meaning when we live a life in the respect and honor of you. God, mold us into those people. God, today we respond, whether in word or deed, in the confidence of knowing that your son, your spirit empowers us, that the life we cannot live on our own, we live because you have moved in us and shaped us. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of the resurrection, by the power of your word, God, would you begin to transform each and every one of us that our lives may echo for you. God, it's in your son's name that we pray. And we ask all these things.